The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. When we began our study in the book of Job, we said that we had to be careful that we understand who is making the statements that we read in the book of Job. When God is speaking, we can rely completely on what he says. But when Bildad and Zophar and Eliphaz speak, they sometimes make some true statements, but they're always applying them wrongly to Job's situation. But some of these true statements that they make bear looking into. And what we want to do today and for the next couple of messages is look at some of those true statements that they make, even though they apply them wrongly. But we want to rightly divide them according to the scriptures. Today, we're going to begin looking at Job chapter 15 and verses 14 through 16, where the statement is made, He putteth no trust in his saints. This is a true statement, beloved. God puts no trust in his saints. And you know why he puts no trust in his saints? Because they don't deserve to have trust put in them. They are totally depraved. We are all suffering from the depravity that we inherited from Adam. Join us today as we look at this principle of depravity that afflicts everyone that's ever been born into this world. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Job, and if you remember last time, we talked about those repeated attacks by his friends, but I think as we left off last time, I told you that what I want to do next and what I hope to do tonight is to take some verses out of what these miserable comforter friends are saying to Job and pull them a little bit out, maybe not completely out of context, but take them out from where they're being talked about. And, and, and talk about the truths contained in some of these verses. Because remember, Job is kind of a unique book in that they say a lot of things that are right, and you'll hear preachers often preach from some verse they've taken from the book of Job, and the, fact, the, the truths of those particular verses are real, but they've just applied them in the wrong way. So tonight, I hope that's not too confusing, tonight I want to take some of those verses that, that Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz use that are true but applied in the wrong way. And I want to kind of pull them out and maybe piece together some thoughts that, that might help us overall realize there are some truths in Job that we need, to, we need to remember. So with that in mind, turn with me to the 15th chapter, which is where Eliphaz the Temanite comes back and starts assaulting Job verbally again, basically. And I want you to notice in verse 14 of chapter 15, he makes a statement here that is so uh, true, even though he's applied it in the wrong way to Job. And notice what he says in verse 14. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he, referring to God, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. 
Now, I want to stop right there and use those verses to talk about this very true principle of depravity. The fact of the matter is, is that mankind is totally depraved. In fact, in the tulip doctrines uh, that we often use as, an, as just a, a way of organizing our thoughts when it comes to the doctrines of grace, the very first one, the T, stands for total depravity. And what Eliphaz says here is absolutely true. He asks the question, what is man that he should be clean? What is he that is born of a woman that he should be righteous? And notice in verse 15, I like it. He putteth no trust in his saints. God truly does not trust man. Okay? That means that he doesn't trust man to do the right thing. He doesn't trust man to make the right decisions. He does not entrust to man anything that could be considered eternal. You see, this very true statement of depravity is something Eliphaz gets right. Again, Eliphaz applies it wrong. He, he's using it to browbeat Job with. And by the way, let's always remember not to do that to one another or even to ourselves. I don't really have a problem browbeating you with depravity. <laughs> But I have a real problem sometimes browbeating me. And I, I don't want to get off the subject here, but let me just say to you, I, I went back and listened to Brother Lonnie Mazingo's message from a few Sunday nights ago. Again, it was on Grace Alone recently. And I listened to that again and just wept in hearing, because we all understand we're depraved. We are dead by nature in trespasses and sins. But our position in Adam is one of total depravity our, our position in Christ is one of perfect unity and love with the Father. He loves us with an everlasting love. So as depraved as we are, we ought to always catch ourselves and be convicted by sin and not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. But remember, you're a child of the King. They kind of forgot all that when dealing with Job. But I don't want to get on them again because I want to just talk about, I want to talk about depravity. Notice in verse 14 again, what is man? Over in the 25th chapter, in the 4th verse, remember this is where Bildad comes on the scene for the second time. And it's a real short chapter, but he, because he's basically just repeating what everybody else has said. But Bildad says in the 24th chapter, in verse, uh, 25th chapter in verse 4, How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Now he's basically just repeating Job uh, back in chapter 9 in verses 1 and 2. He says, How can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon and it shineth not, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm? Here again, Bildad uh, is exactly right. He's applying it wrong. I'm not going to keep repeating that, but just remember his application to Job is wrong. He's got the wrong spirit, the wrong heart, the wrong approach, but he is exactly right in what he says. How then can man be justified with God? You remember uh, Job chapter 9 and verse 2? Job makes the statement, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? Now the religious world's answer to that is you've got to get right with God. You just got to get yourself out of the gutter and you got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get over into the kingdom of God. And, and that's how you become a child of God. God will start loving you once you get right with him. <laughs> I got news for you. 
Jeremiah says he's loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, kindness have I drawn thee, God says. Notice what's happened here. John tells us no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. But oh, he has drawn us because he loves us. That's beautiful, isn't it? No man can come unto me. It's the equivalent of saying, how can man be justified with God? How can you come to God? People say all the time, you've got to come to God, come to him. You know, give your heart to him. I say again what Brother Spann used to always say. What would he do with a nasty old thing? Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He doesn't say anything about giving us giving our hearts to him, but he says a lot about him giving us a new heart. See, he putteth no trust in his saints. Notice back over in, well, let's stay here for just a minute. Notice what he said in verse 5 here of 25, chapter 25. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. You know, I was looking at the moon here a while back outside. I'd gone outside one night. It was so beautiful. It was just, I understand why people worshipped it. I understand why there were pagan societies. They'd look up there and they'd see this beautiful, bright, amazing orb in the sky. That in, in that particular night, I could see my own shadow. I could, you know, I could just stand still. It, obviously, it was dark, but I could see pretty well because it was a full moon. It was beautiful out there. I could see shadows. I was thinking, man, that's glorious. That's amazing, isn't it? But notice what it says. Talking about from God's perspective, even to the moon, and it, it shineth not. It was shining that night. It was amazing. But as far as God's concerned, nothing to it. It's not even, it's as if it's not even shining. Notice he says, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. I was looking at the Milky Way and all the galaxies that are out there. Mason, or Austin one, I think it was Mason, got a, got a little telescope when he was younger. And that thing's amazing. I love to get that thing out and, you know, it's hard to keep it on. You don't realize how fast the earth is moving until you try to look at, this, uh, look at some particular star through the telescope. It's just about, you know, won't hardly stay in the, in the scope long enough for you to see it. I'll never forget the first time I, I was able to find out where Saturn was and to look through that telescope and see the actual rings of Saturn. And I've seen Jupiter through that telescope. And you've actually been able to see one of the moons around Jupiter, one little dot up there. It's amazing. It's so glorious. It's, it's just, it just puts me in awe when I look up in the stars and I see... And we're told elsewhere that's the finger work of God. And we look at it, and yet in God's eyes, the stars themselves are not pure. I say to you, what looks more pure in the darkness of the, of the night than the stars scattered across the heavens? And yet God says they're not pure in his sight. Bildad is exactly right. Even the creation is marred when God looks on it. It's amazing to me. You go to some of these amazing places like Yellowstone National Park. I was watching a, I was watching a documentary about it just uh, last night. And we've been there uh, once before and had a, just an amazing time of seeing all these, this natural beauty out there. It's nothing in the sight of God. Turn with me back over to Job chapter 4. You know, I've never seen an angel. But everywhere I read about somebody who does see an angel...
the first thing the angel has to say to him is fear not. <laughs> because apparently a vision of an angel is an awesome experience. The glory of the Lord shone round about those angels that appeared on the night of Jesus' birth. You know, I've thought a lot about that. I wonder, I don't know how all that happens and exactly what all that means, but, but you know, you used to watch the used to watch the Roadrunner cartoons. I did. Now, some of you young folks don't know what I'm talking about, but I used to watch the Coyote and the Roadrunner. You remember when the Roadrunner would come, you know, he'd beep, beep, and here he'd come, and he'd slide to a stop, and behind him would be all this stuff that he was running. You know, it brought this stuff with him that he'd passed on the road, maybe some trash or maybe some dust and, and grass and stuff. It'd just come with him, you know. And that's the kind of the, the thought I have when I read about how that the angel appeared in the sky to the shepherds. And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about him. And they were sore afraid. You know, that angel came directly from the throne room of God. And it's almost in my mind like here comes the angel, you know, instantaneously uh, when God says, okay, you go now. And instantaneously he goes and it's like he's dragging some of the glory of the throne room of God behind him. Like that roadrunner. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot when I read that. But, but so the angel, the experience of seeing the angels is, is, is amazing according to what I read. Every, everybody's awed by them. But I want you to read with me in chapter 4 in verse 17. And this is Eliphaz speaking the first time. And he asked the question, shall mortal man be more just than God? You know, he's got it on depravity. He kind of gets it, Okay. Shall a man be more pure than his maker? In other words, he's accusing Job of thinking more highly of himself than he ought. And I don't believe Job was, but uh, he's trying to accuse him of that. But he's right on this point. Shall a man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Now notice this. Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly. These angels that... Blow our minds when they show up. If an angel walked in here tonight, we would probably, fall, you know, you say, well, I wouldn't worship an angel. I don't know about that. You'd probably fall down like John did and, you know, and, and all these others in different places. When they saw an angel, they fell to their knees because they were so glorious. The angels always had to tell them, get up, I'm not God. If an angel came in, it would be glorious. And yet we're told that even the angels God charges with folly. Even the angels, his servants, I believe that's what he's talking about here in verse 18. He puts no trust in his servants. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't have faithful angels. Gabriel, Michael, and others. That, that, that I believe there are angels that attend to our services and that angels that were ready to go and take him down from the cross if he but spoke the word. They were faithful and I don't mean he can't, that, that, that's not talking about they're untrustworthy, but what he's saying is in comparison to God himself. He doesn't put any trust in the angels. <laughs> you know, I believe that's one reason it says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. When the time comes for him to gather up his elect from this world, uh, he doesn't trust the angels to do that. He's coming back himself. And here's the point. He doesn't even trust his angels with things that men in the world tell us that we're trusted with. He didn't send an angel to the cross. Jesus wasn't an angel. I know there's a 
faction out there that claims to be Christian, that claims that Jesus was just like us, and he rose up because of good living, righteous living, to the place where he is. That's not true. That's heresy. That's heresy. In fact, that particular heresy arose when a man said he saw an angel in upstate New York. <laughs> and that's why Paul said in the Galatian letter, he said, if I or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. You remember that, child of God. I don't care if a dozen or 10,000 angels show up in here and say, hey, wait a minute, time out. The Bible's wrong. Just dismiss them. Just say, you know what? You're wrong. I'm not going to believe any other gospel than what I have here in the Word of God. He didn't trust his angels to come down and to deliver his people on the cross. And yet we're told every day if you turn it on somewhere on the internet or on TV, someone saying, your eternity is in your hands. Had somebody get in touch with me not too long ago, just agonizing over the fact that he believed that his friend's eternity was in his hands. And praise God, I was able to talk to him and, and give him comfort that his eternity is in the hands of the Lord. You know, it's not even in the hands of the angels. He doesn't even trust the angels. His angels he charged with folly. And think about this. There was a whole faction of angels that fell. Even as great, much greater than us that, as the angels are, even they fell. Lucifer was an angel. Lucifer was a created being. Satan was a created being. By the way, let me just say this. Throw this I throw this in for free, Brother Glenn. Um, Someone asked you, did God create the devil? God didn't create the devil. God created that which became the devil. <laughs> you understand? God didn't make anything that was marred or evil or wicked. God created man upright. Adam was innocent. Adam was pure. It's not God's fault that Adam fell. And likewise, Lucifer, we're told, was the star of the morning. He was, I don't want to get off into that too much, but I'll just say that apparently he appears to have had some duties in regard to mankind here on earth. I, I don't know all the details, and certainly if the Lord didn't tell us plainly, we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> uh, but I'll just say it this way. That which God created was upright. But he, he created that which became the devil. The devil is not God's devil. The devil's his own devil, <laughs> if you can put it that way. But my point is this, is that even the angels fell. God puts no trust in his servants. And, and, and here's, again, I go back to the Why would he, if he puts no trust in the angels, why in the world would he put trust in man to get himself to heaven? Why would he place anything in our hands that involves our eternal salvation? Why would he do that? I'm not an angel. I'm not even close. I'm not even close to, to the most righteous person on this earth. I'm not close to Job. Job was the most righteous person in his daily life, his daily walk, apparently, of anyone on the earth in that day. Man, I'm not even close. I'm so glad he didn't put anything like that in my hand. Psalm chapter 14 Notice what 
he says about mankind here. Psalm chapter 14. And we're going to turn also over to Psalm 53. So you may want to go ahead and be finding it. In Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Okay, that establishes a very important principle that, that I don't care how many PhDs you have behind your name, if you say there is no God, you're nothing but a fool. And when you act and live as if there is no God, you're nothing but a fool. <laughs> you say, I'm not, I don't believe there is no God. Well, do you live that way? I, I'm sorry to say there are times when I act as if there is no God. I say something I shouldn't as if God's not hearing it. <laughs> I do something I shouldn't as if God's not watching it. You know? you know what I'm doing then? I'm being a fool. But be that as it may, that's another message. Now, here's what I want to get to, verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Romans chapter 1 or 3, I think it is, is going to deal with that a little bit more and elaborate on it. But notice what God did. He looked down to see if there were, this is the purpose of him looking down, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now notice the answer. Notice what he found. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Turn with me over to Psalm 53 now. And we start out in the same way in Psalm 53. It basically is a repetition of this psalm. And he talks about the fool saying in his heart there is no God. In verse 2 he says, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that didn't understand that did seek God. And if you're not careful when you read this, verse 3, you'll say, well, he repeats himself in the same way. But I want you to notice what it says. There's a little difference. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. So in one place, it's the two words, all, together. In this place, it's one word, altogether. I believe that's teaching us that mankind as a whole, altogether, is filthy. And mankind individually, all, together, are alike filthy. You see, you know, you can't hide in the mass of humanity. <laughs> yes, we're all together filthy, but you are one of that all that's together filthy, you see. I think that's interesting that he did that. I think that's amazing, actually. Because that way no one is left out. In Romans, the fifth chapter, just to emphasize that a little bit more, it's a very familiar verse in verse 12. We read about how this depravity came upon us. And you see that it came, sin entered in the world, not because God brought it, but because man brought it. And he says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Now let me stop right there and say, this is the federal headship of Adam. Adam was our representative. When you elect a representative to go to Congress, the whole constituency doesn't go to Congress and sit there in that seat. It's just the man you elected to represent you. And someone says uh, that, well, we voted to go to war in World War II, 1941. Uh, America voted to go to war. No, America didn't vote to go to war. The representatives of Americans voted to go to war. Every single American didn't vote to do that, but guess what? We were all bound by it. 
There were some that didn't want to go to war, but they were bound by it. We went to war because the representatives voted to do that. Same way here with Adam. Adam bound us by his actions, and he says because of that, death entered, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And sometimes we stop there and we say, Adam, we shake our fist at Adam. Adam, 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 why did you do this? But the truth of the matter is, we don't escape just because just by blaming it on Adam. Notice what it says, for that all have sinned. <laughs> we read elsewhere, I forget where it is, but there's not a man that lives on the earth that has not sinned. There's not a man that liveth and has not sinned upon the earth. You see, not only though are you a sinner because Adam plunged you into sin, but you're a sinner because you like it. I want to tell you, there's a part of me that loves it. Like a pig loves mud. I like to wallow in sin. There's a part of me that loves it and would go back to that pig pen every time. Praise God, there's another part of me that hates it. But see, God had to give that to me because he didn't trust his angels. Why in the world would he trust me to work that up within myself? Say, hey, Jesus died on the cross and he, he got it almost there. He just almost got us across the finish line. It's up to you to go the rest of the way. You know, they'll say, a lot of people say Jesus came to us, but you've got to reach up to him. <laughs> I'm so thankful he didn't trust me even with that. I heard someone say one time that, I can't remember who it was, but um, maybe Brother Buddy can and will remind me after the service. I heard someone say one time that if all I had to do to obtain eternal, to, to avail myself of the eternal redemption that's in Christ was, my, was raise my little pinky finger, I'd mess it up. <laughs> I wouldn't raise it high enough. I wouldn't keep it up long enough. I wouldn't do it at the right time. I wouldn't mean it when I did it. I'd be messing it up somehow. You see, God does not trust even his angels. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says that the right, all our righteousnesses, and that means every good thing that we can do, is as filthy rags. People say, as I've said already, give your heart to the Lord. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says the heart's deceitful above all things. You're saying you want me to give the Lord the most deceitful thing I have. The, you know, the, holy, the thrice holy God who cannot... Look upon sin and, 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 and can't bear iniquity, cannot be in the presence, hates it so much he turned his back upon his son while he hung on the cross and became sin for us. And you want me to take the most wicked thing I've got and lay it up there on his altar somehow. He would say away with this, this wicked thing. You see, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know? See, God has to give us a new heart. We're dead, according to Ephesians 2, 1. We're dead in trespasses and sins. That doesn't mean a little bit alive. If you're a fisherman, you'll know what I mean by this. I remember Brother J.C. Russian, who was my pastor for many years. He was a big fisherman, and he said, he said, you know what that means, to be dead in sins? He said, it means there's not a spiritual wiggle in you. <laughs> you ever caught a fish, you know, and they still, they'll wiggle around a little bit? Sometimes even after they're really dead, they'll wiggle a little he said, there's not a spiritual wiggle in you. Amen to that, I say. 1 Corinthians 2.14, we'll bring this to a close. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, 
Now, I want to stop you right there. Some would say, well, I'm not saying you've got to do anything, but you've got to receive the gospel. You've got to receive and believe the gospel message. If you don't do that, you're going to hell. There's a lot we could say about that, by the way. We talk, uh, and, and I believe it's the third chapter of Romans, uh, but I may not be right there, but I believe it's in the, maybe the second chapter of Romans. The question's asked, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? And the answer is, God forbid. Let, every man be true, let, let God be true and every man a liar. We'll come back to that hopefully at some point. But, but 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I don't know of anything more of the Spirit of God than the gospel message. In fact, Peter was told there in the 16th chapter of Matthew, when he's talking, they're there on the grassy banks of the Jordan River, and he says, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? Some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist, some the other prophet. He said, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did Jesus say, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, that you studied hard enough to figure that out? <laughs> I don't think so. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. <laughs> You see, that revelation, the good news of the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God who has come down here and, and become a man, truly man but truly God, and died on the cross to put away the sins of His people, that is the, one of the greatest things of the Spirit of God. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal that to you. It's of the Spirit of God, my Father which is in heaven. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You see, that's where we are. Eliphaz is right. Eliphaz is exactly right when he says he putteth no trust in his saints. My answer to that is praise God. He didn't put any trust in his saints. Praise his holy name that he didn't entrust me with my eternal destiny. Rather, he understood our plight. He knew that our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. He knew that our heart was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He knew that we were dead in trespasses and in sins. He knew that we would receive not the things of the Spirit of God. And therefore, as he says in Isaiah, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. He brought salvation. He cried out, it is finished. He doesn't put any trust in his saints. But he put all the saints' sins on the shoulders of his son because we could not bear that load. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.